0: Hello, I'm Penelope Jenkins from the Knowledge Centre and today I'm talking to Dr Charlotte Matheson, an Associate Fellow from the Department of English and Comparative Literature Studies at Warwick. Hello Charlotte. You've written a paper on travel in Charles Dickens's Little Dorrit What inspired you to research this subject?
1: Well this research came about from my PhD which was looking at 19th century representations of travel in the novel and this involved studying Europe and representations of European travel and I found that Europe was a really interesting topic to research because Europe occupies a very complex and often contradictory position in the Victorian imagination. There's both the appeal of the continent as a place of history, culture, education and with travel increasing rapidly throughout the 19th century, this certainly perpetuated throughout this period. There was also a long-standing problematic relationship between Britain and Europe, a lot of negative associations of the continent as a disruptive space of revolutions, the intensification of imperial rivalry at this time particularly strong as well, and these anxieties were further fuelled by the increasing ease of accessibility of the continent through these new travel possibilities. And the Victorian novel really reflects and engages with these tensions and I found that Little Dorrit is no exception to this but it's particularly interesting because for Dickens this is quite an unusually lengthy and sustained engagement with the idea of Europe as compared with some of his other novels.
0: And how does the novel Little Dorrit engage with the idea of Europe? Well, the novel
1: really demonstrates this tension in the idea of Europe and it oscillates between both embracing continental openness and then retreating into national enclosure. We've got the appeal of Europe as a place of leisure, pleasure and wealth. The Dorrit's, for example, travelled through the Alps into Italy following their rise in fortunes. And to a large extent, Europe is really kept away from a lot of the more serious and financial concerns which are tied up within Britain. But underpinning this, there's always this sense of Europe as an unsettling space. I mean, really, right from the start of the novel, when we open in the Marseille prison, Europe is set up as a space of danger, of alienating landscapes, um, uncertainty, and instability. Dickens often depicts Italy, for example, in ways that he talks about it as being dirty and haggard, bringing them to where the very air was diseased. We've got Venice, which is really founded on unreality. Rome carries this sense of ruinous dissolution, and the Alpine landscapes, that haunted atmosphere throughout. So although the novel engages with Europe at more length than, say, Bleak House, for example, there's a real ambivalence here about what the continent represents and how it might impact upon the British traveller.
0: Why do you think Dickens represents Europe as hostile, a little threatening, such as the murderer Rigo? Well,
1: the idea of Europe as a hostile space is quite familiar in 19th century literature. And the continent, and especially France, is often viewed as a space of villainy, of revolution, and of sexual license as well. And in the novel, disreputable figures often originate from or are transported to Europe throughout a lot of Victorian novels. So this really contains the threat and danger of such characters within continental space. So Rigaud is part of this familiar discourse of criminality in the continent. He's the villain of the novel. We start with him contained in the Marseille prison, but he moves gradually closer to London, eventually reaching the epicentre of the novel. But what's really interesting about this is that Dickens doesn't just represent the character himself as hostile. He extends this to the landscape. So we have got those unstable landscapes I just mentioned before. And also this sense of Marseille, right from the opening of the novel, it has the staring white houses, staring white walls, staring white streets. And this suggests a really overriding sense of repulsion, as if the foreign space is attempting to reflect or repel anyone who enters. So Europe is not just associated with hostile discourses, it's constructed as a hostile space within itself.
0: And yet the Dorrit's travel to Italy in book two, don't they? And Dickens satirises the popular tourist trail.
1: Absolutely. Europe had long been a popular tourist destination for British travellers, and the Grand Tours of the 18th century had established it as the place to visit. So throughout the 19th century, with developments in transport technology and the beginnings of tourist infrastructures, travel became quicker, easier and crucially more affordable, so many more people began to travel and we had the beginnings of mass tourism begin to take shape the advent of Thomas Cook's tours, for example. And this, in effect, carved out a beaten track for tourists to easily follow in the footsteps of those who had gone before. There was this real sense that everyone was going around Europe following the same route, Mm -hmm. viewing the same popular tourist sites, perceiving everything through the same received opinions set forth in the guidebook. And so this is what Dickens is getting at in his depiction of Rome and Venice. In particular, we see Mrs. General, who's obsessed with the celebrated Mr. Eustace, the classical tourist, and this prevails throughout the time in Italy, and Eustace was one of the um, tourist guides that was very popular throughout the 19th century, so Dickens' reference here makes light of that. But he also extends it to the rest of the travellers, and he talks about the whole body of travellers. He describes them as a collection of voluntary human sacrifices, bound hand and foot and delivered over to Mr. Eustace and his attendants to have the entrails of their intellects arranged according to the taste of that sacred priesthood. It's a sense that everyone kind of gives themselves over to the tourist opinion, walking about, looking at everything else through someone else's eyes. So he's very scathing, really, and there's a sense that it's not just the continents and the people on the continent, but really the British abroad as well really represent polite society at its worst. And perhaps not just tourism per se, but also here the effect of not thinking for oneself, and Dickens is often very critical of that, and that's what also comes through this representation here.
0: So Eustace was the rough guide of the Victoria, the Absolutely. Era, <laughs> <laughs> Held in every tourist's hand. Yes. <laughs> Near a home, how does Dickens portray London in the novel? So in response to
1: this hostility of Europe, the novel really keeps Britain tightly away from the rest of the continent. It confines Britain just to London. We don't see anything else apart from London and the surrounding locale in Little Dorrit. And this sense of enclosure really permeates throughout the depiction of London. We've got a lot of places in the city which are comprised of defined boundaries. So most obviously of course the Marshall Sea Prison, but also places like the Bleeding Heart Yards or the Clennam House, or the close proximity of the city streets even. Gateways, borders, and boundaries are everywhere. And so the novel's really creating the sense that it's protecting London. It's creating it as a place of distinct boundaries that maintain that national border against the threat of this European landscape that it depicts elsewhere. And, of course, it doesn't necessarily hold. Characters travel between the two locations. And, of course, Rigo makes his way into the city. But just as um, London characters also travel out into Europe... But I think there is this sense that it's trying to maintain these boundaries and we don't ever see those threads of connection. We never see the journeys, with the exception of one instance, that kind of connect Britain and Europe. So it's almost trying to sever those connections and
0: keep them as poles apart. And Dickens himself, uh, did he like to travel? Yes,
1: I mean Dickens's ideas about tourists are no doubt inspired by what he had seen on his own travels. He travelled to America twice, first in the 1840s and then just towards the end of his life. And he went to Europe as well. Between 1844 and forty-five, he made two journeys there. He went through France to Italy, of course in those days it was necessary to travel through France en route to Italy. And he toured around northern and central Italy and spent a lot of time there. And he records this in his collection Pictures from Italy and also American Notes which details the American journey. So this interest in travel really fascinated him and I think it's there not just in Little Dorrit where he's most obviously engaging with travel but also in many of the other novels, even if they're predominantly located within Britain, a lot of brief references to the wider world show his continuing interest in the possibilities of travel and what it might offer.
0: Well that's all we've got time for so I just want to say thank you to Charlotte for talking to us. You can find more podcasts and features celebrating Dickens's life and work at www.warwick.ac.uk forward slash Dickens.